Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. Thank you so much for joining us. And like very often, we have some guests with us today who we're delighted to have along. So, but before I introduce them, of course, hello to my mate and co-founder and, and co-presenter, Nitin Gower. Hello, Nitin. <laughs> hey, Derek. Glad to be here and looking forward to this interesting conversation today. Thanks for inviting uh, your guests. So along today, we have Tim Johnson and Henrik Anderson from Apollo Capital. Now, Portal Asset Management thinks well of Apollo Capital. And the first time we met Apollo Capital was in 2018, I think, and early in your piece. So you would have been going for about, or just starting probably in that year as it would have been. Um, and, and you were very active across the space, commentators in the space for the last, well, probably four or five years now. Um, and I've got to say, um, always good members of the uh, crypto society in Western Australia, sorry, in Australia, so to speak. Um, hello and welcome aboard. Hi, Derek. Great to be here. I'm Tim. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having us. Looking forward to the discussion today. So you're most welcome. Now, look, maybe, gentlemen, rather than me give a prelude on Apollo Capital and what your strategies are, et cetera, Please go forward and introduce what you're about and what your histories are in this space, of course, because we always love to know the backgrounds of the people, how they've come to cryptocurrency. And then, of course, in your case, what have you created? Yeah, so uh, as you said, we, we started uh, Apollo Crypto, which we are now called uh, five years ago. So, uh, you know, uh, we got together uh, towards the end of 2017 uh, and got our first fund up and running. Um, actually, pretty much exactly five years ago now, um, and uh, that was an interesting time because, as we uh, uh, might remember, that was the start of a, a big uh, bear market. Uh, yes. um, but um, you know, we have taken a long-term approach to the uh, crypto space, and uh, we're here to stay. And uh, um, I think we have made some good investments uh, along the way. Um, and we're looking forward to the future. It's, it's, it's pretty exciting to be in this space. Um, I've personally been investing in the crypto space for the past 10 years. Uh, both of us comes, comes from a traditional finance background. Um, we are both uh, CFA charter holders, for example. Um, uh, I worked in, uh, uh, in the equity space mainly um, uh, before I uh, joined the crypto uh, revolution, so to speak. Um, so I think that's a good combination to have that combination of, uh, uh, of, of being quite crypto native, been investing in the crypto space for a long time, and that combined with that uh, um, institutional um, traditional finance uh, background. So I think that makes us a little bit uh, unique, perhaps. Yeah, and, and I think where Henrik's journey uh, into crypto is, is quite interesting and, and quite unique, I think. 
where he was working on Wall Street and, and you know, came across crypto and followed it as a hobby for, for many years before you know, starting Apollo and, and, and pursuing it professionally full time. Um, I, I fell into crypto. <laughs> I, uh, I was like, what's this crypto business? What's this Bitcoin business? Uh, and I was very skeptical. Um, you know, my parents are both lawyers, quite you know, conservative, risk averse. Uh, and, and I started working with our, our chairman at the start of 2017, and, and he had been in crypto uh, since 2014. Uh, and I was like, what's this Bitcoin nonsense? And I didn't quite get it. And you know, 10 months later, I, I finally bought some uh, in October 2017. I wish I had bought about 10 times as much. Uh, but that was a great uh, experience to you know, actually put some money into it. And then you start following it a little bit further. But I think it's, it's worth highlighting because a number of investors... Uh, crypto investors, they have a similar path. It starts with skepticism and then sort of goes to indifference and then goes to curiosity and then sort of goes into, oh, actually, you know, we might, there's, there's something here. There's a bit of potential. Yes, it's risky, uh, but you know, it, it, maybe it's worth investing a few dollars into. Yes, very much so. I've got to say, when I first started in crypto in early 2017, um, I was developing a software product that needed to validate um, the transfer of providence. Well, it's a blockchain requirement, of course. And the software engineer said to me, why don't you stamp it on the blockchain? And I said to him, what's a blockchain? It took me 14 days to get on an airplane and fly to Europe and attend my first conferences. I was just absolutely mesmerized. Not so much by necessarily to begin with the profitability that could be here, create an entire new asset class. That wasn't in my head. What was in my head is that if you change an entire accounting system for the global commerce, what does that mean? If you can transfer something across the world instantaneously with very little cost, what does that mean? Anyway, that was the bubbles in my head. And this was before DeFi and before NFTs and before so much. You guys have launched Apollo in early 2018, baptism of fire. So <laughs> well done for the longevity of it. So you've seen a number of booms and busts on the way through. Here we are in our first month of 2023, having gone through 2022, which Look, I often said if 2021 was a party, 2022 was the hangover, um, you know, and here we are about to launch again um, into this year. What are your thoughts of the year going forward? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, uh, I think the macro environment has changed quite a bit. So if you start there from kind of the, the top. So, um, you know, 2022 was a year where central banks around the world uh, tightened uh, their monetary policy. We saw interest rates going up around the world. We're still seeing that, but I think the tone has changed a bit. We are seeing inflation is coming down, uh, which is quite a big change in the broader macro picture. Um, so I think we have kind of uh, a change uh, going into this year when it comes to the overall outlook. We might have a couple of more interest rate hikes um, uh, coming in the US, um, but it feels like we are close to the beginning of the end of that tightening cycle. Uh, so I think the macro environment is uh, definitely changing a bit. Um, so last year, as you mentioned, crypto performed very poorly, but it wasn't just crypto that performed poorly. Um, so did stocks, uh, and so did bonds. Uh, by some measures, stocks and bonds haven't performed that poorly since 1871. So it was mm. just a tremendous year when it comes to 
the underperformance of global assets last year. Now, crypto performed poorly uh, because of this macro environment. It also has some, obviously, some specific crypto events going on. So we saw, as we know, the collapse of, of Luna. We saw the collapse of FTX and um, some of the centralized uh, lending players in the crypto space. Um, so we saw a lot of crypto-specific events last year that affected um, the space. Um, but I think the sentiment has changed the last couple of months, I would say. Um, we saw, for example, the bankruptcy of Genesis a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. um, and the market didn't really react to that. And I think that's always a good sign when you got those kind of... Uh, what would normally be a negative event, but the market doesn't react. That's, I think, a sign that the sentiment has changed. So I think that's number one. The macro picture has changed from last year. Secondary, uh, secondly, I would, mm, um, uh, I would say that historically we have seen an interesting pattern when it comes to uh, the crypto markets. We have seen this four-year cycles going on, and that, you know. I don't subscribe to that 100%, but it's an interesting observation still. Uh, and it has some fundamental anchoring because uh, as we know, Bitcoin go through this four year cycle with the, with the halvings. Um, mm -hmm. And um, next year we have the next Bitcoin halving. Um, um, and um, we have seen kind of a positive year the year before that a positive year during the year of the Bitcoin halving and the positive year the year after. So we have seen that four-year cycle, three good years, one bad year, uh, you know, for the past couple of cycles. And I think there's actually uh, looks like there might be the case this time uh, as well. So I do expect this year to be positive for the crypto markets in general. I don't expect that we will see new all-time highs or anything like that. But in general, I think the sentiment um, has changed. Yeah. So, so one thing, Henrik, I think um, something interesting that you mentioned, both in terms of comparing global macro and you, you cite a few things that are improving this year in 2023. Uh, and, and my vantage point, at least in some of the research they're looking at, I'd love to get your perspective on this piece is the fact that if you look at the global banking regulators and starting on January 3rd, FDIC and OCC talked about the fact that anything that's in public blockchain is unsafe banking practices. And then you had sort of BIS, FATF, the entire, you know, gamut of, of regulators talking about the fact that, and this is post-FTX fiasco, of course, right? And then, then we saw the reaction to that comments from the likes of Signature Bank, you know, trying to subside all crypto activities. And then you looked into MCB doing the same. Silvergate has its own set of challenges. And then you have FCA, uh, talking about sort of, you know, in terms of advertising and and what they would like to do. And I think, and and of course, Binance now stopping all the US dollar on-ramp, off-ramp, uh, barring some of the Binance US entities. So to me, I think two things, right? One is, of course, the, the as we perceived the US dollar being eased off, very hawkish sort of stance that central banks had. And then you see this side of the angle when liquidity dries up. And in this show, Derek and me for almost all of last year have opined upon decoupling, which is crypto standing on its own ground, providing its own liquidity. And as you described this, Henrik, um, I, I can't just, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
not ask this question in terms of what is your perspective on that as as I think liquidities dries up while the central banks may be easing this uh, hawkish sort of uh, sentiment from the past whole year that that we've been looking in terms of curbing and and controlling inflation uh, from that perspective love to get your thoughts in terms of decoupling crypto itself as a risk on asset as we have seen crypto to be uh, that's one part of the question and I'll pause ask another question afterwards yeah, I don't know. I think you're right. So it seems like uh, it might get harder to on-ramp, off-ramp to crypto, fiat transfers, banks kind of being involved. And I think that's a worrying sign. Some people call it that uh, what we're seeing is actually a new operation, a short point in the US where informally some of the regulators are pressuring banks not to deal with crypto. Uh, we saw that in 2013 around uh, other kind of... Um, sectors uh, where where the regulators informally pressure the banks um, not to deal with certain sectors in the economy. That was the original operation choke point in the US. And we actually might be seeing that right now when it comes to the crypto industry. So that is definitely worrying, as you mentioned, Binance. I think yesterday um, um, kind of halted um, uh, US dollar transfers. Um, so um, I think we will, you know, we want, all want to see it being kind of seamless and easy to onboard into the crypto ecosystem. And that's important. So, um, you know, hopefully this is not uh, a part of a bigger trend. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a worrying sign um, for sure. Um, so far it's affecting the US dollar and certain banks, um, but definitely something you need to follow closely. Another thing when it comes to the risk on risk off, I think Tim uh, might, might um, yeah, I know Tim has done some correlation analy analysis when it comes to crypto markets and things like that, which, which I find interesting. So, yeah, I, I think um, the, the narrative of crypto has changed, changed over the journey. And, and as um, Derek said at the start, we've been in crypto for what seems like an eternity now, um, <laughs> uh, both, both professionally and personally. So, uh, we used to say that crypto doesn't correlate. We now say it, it tends not to correlate, but I think you, you know, I think most of us agree that it, it's probably not going to be a hedge. Yeah. I think once upon a time we expected Bitcoin to be a hedge against you know, macroeconomic uncertainty, where Bitcoin would perform really well when everything else is is um, not performing well. Um, I, we have enough data points now to say that that's not the case. Uh, mm. I mean, twenty twenty. Um, in March, was a, which is a clear case, everything went down with the onset of COVID. Uh, mm. And last year is obviously a, a very clear um, uh, you know, example or, or result as well. So I think we, with correlations, I mean, correlations are fascinating. And, and that's why I like looking at it, like, like Henrik said, you can look at it the minute, any over different timeframes. So if you look at it over a three-month timeframe with daily correlations, yeah, sure, crypto is probably very highly correlated. Um, but yeah, over a five-year time frame uh, with monthly correlations, uh, such as the, the returns that we use for or generated for the Apollo Crypto Fund, um, yeah, it, it still is quite low. Um, so yeah. you, you've, got to, you've got to keep in mind the, the time frame, I think, is the key point there. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so one thing, it's interesting, right? Because on this show, we, we are quite uh, used to coining new terms and new phrases. And as as Derek will tell you, we've coined the term metaversical and we coined the term contagion of incompetence because all that happened last year. And this year, our moniker has been the luck favors the informed. And in that effort, I think we are looking into understanding the industry even better. That focus on utility has been 
largely the center point of 2023 conversation to say, hey, you're doing all this crypto assets. What's the utility of the crypto assets? That uh, So as you look into this again, that portal is figuring out the landscape of crypto assets and Bitcoin being the benchmark asset from performance perspective, it's it's a it's a large driver of how we view the industry in general. But what's interesting in 2023 is unsuspecting players, right? We begin to look into layer twos really coming for you know forth in terms of its utility. Uh, recently, GRT, which is graph token, which I'm a huge fan of, but it never showed up any time since its inception until this week in terms of providing some of the fundamental elements of data and computing and giving that the fodder for indexing for AI and everything else. Uh, how do you view this industry post-2022 failures and having a new vantage point from the various asset classes? And uh, and how do you sort of view the industry beyond Bitcoin, which happens to be sort of the thematic sense of our podcast. Love to get your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, it's so. interesting. Like when, when, as we see the industry grow uh, and you see more players coming into the industry, you see market cap increases. I guess you could have two views. One would be that as you know, Bitcoin becomes a real digital gold and an alternative to gold, that it would be more uncorrelated, right? On the other hand, like you could say that as more institutional investors uh, uh, become uh, involved in the industry, it becomes more correlated to other asset classes that they might be trading, right? So I'm interested in your views on this. Once crypto kind of utility grows, uh, once market cap increases, um, when we have more players coming into the industry, do you think that correlation to other asset classes will come up or do you think will actually decrease? Um, yeah, I could argue for both uh, both ways. Yeah, <laughs> so so we have done our own analysis, of course, at Portal, and in terms of both applying data and analysis, in terms of inverse and converse relationship between the asset classes that we look into, right? And I think the main driver that we have looked into is what drives value, because we are truly, if we were to compare blockchain-driven revolution. Uh, you know, and and we 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 do make a claim that what internet has done for inf information, blockchain will do for things of value. Then we have to go back to some of the element of e-commerce and element of value transfers, payments, looking into truly creating global systems that it allows us to be able to transfer value. In that notion of transfer value, we're also delivering value because we're compressing the notion of time and trust with this technology in general. So when I look at some of the projects that for example, NFTs, right? If you look at NFT projects, for example, NFT by themselves should uplift the various layer zero and layer one protocols. This is decentralized storage, decentralized transaction systems, decentralized interconnect, and fuel the other systems like GRT and Fetch AI, like, like protocols, because they're truly delivering value in not only providing a decentralized storage, but also giving you statistics and it's all on-chain data that can be correlated and to me those are correlated assets in the system which has direct relationship with nfts and any of the content storage that goes with it will uplift all the sort of related technologies per se as opposed to let's say a DeFi protocol which may not be exactly correlated to its own sort of sectors as you define henrik in your previous conversation the, the various sectors that we've defined to say hey there is a direct correlation between these two sectors and in some cases there's inverse correlation between these two sectors and that's how we've approached this. And I think what that gives us at least, and love to get Derek's perspective as the, in, you know, as, as a founder of, of Portal Asset Management is gives us the avenue to pursue our conviction 
to say we firmly believe in this and this is sort of the uh, trade proposals that we'd like to make based on market conditions. And it's no different from how we see the sectors in the real world, whether it's between shipping and petroleum and between airlines industry and travel industry and so on and so forth. I'll I'll take a pause here and, and see if Derek, you have anything to add on that. Sure. I mean, as you realize that we we operate um, three funds, one is a, is a fund of funds, which is Portal Digital Fund. The other one is just the, the top 25 index horizon. And the third one is Radiance, which is a deep dive into each sector. Um, and we review what we consider to be the best of tokens in each sector. I set that because our premise of how we go towards these um, investments varies depending on the fund. Um, and in the case of the Portal Digital Fund, it really is a hedge fund. So we consider long positions, we consider neutral positions, we consider momentum and sentiment positions. And depending on where we think the market is heading, um, you know, we, we will lean uh, our investments into those, into those funds. As cash comes in, we'll keep more cash or put it to more long positions. So we really do greatly look at a long-term macro view. I think looking at last year, um, we thought that the market is, was likely to have a turndown. Um, and in the early part of the year, we did pull back on, on um, higher volatility product by virtue of the cash inflows. We moved them more towards neutral and, and, um, and momentum. What we didn't see coming was FTX and Terra Luna. And so as much as you try to um, map out the macro views of, of this, which we absolutely have to do, um, these, uh, these black swan events, which of course black swans are all over the place here in Western Australia, but these black swan events, um, you know, are things that you can't necessarily predict. Um, but we still map out our path forward based upon our, our views of macro. Um, you guys have been quite committed investment investors in early stage tokens or relatively early stage tokens, which is a different set of disciplines to that of analyzing necessarily macro movements. Um, and so you really do get deep down into the tokenomics of some of the early products that you've invested in, and you've invested in quite a number. Um, I know some of the groups that you've invested in along the way and the fact that you have. Um, maybe you talk about the types of investments you've put in, um, how you intend to continue that or vary that along the way, and what you think are probably, you know, are the next sector movements coming through. I mean, last year there was so much talk about metaverse, and but everyone kind of put, couldn't put their finger on what metaverse really was. Um, and then there was there was a lot of talk about Web 3.0, and we get the sense that Web 3.0 is going to be enormous, but that's still forming in front of us too. What are your thoughts about um, these different sectors, and what are you leaning into? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is an important discussion because crypto assets can mean a lot of different things, right? Mm. There can be a lot of subsectors underneath crypto assets. And I think as the industry matures, uh, it would be logical, if you like, if you know the correlation actually decreases because crypto assets can mean a number of different things, right? That yes. are driven by different things. Yes. Uh, but our funds um, and our flagship fund that we started five years ago, uh, we have an investment thesis that is quite crypto native. So we want to identify kind of the uh, the early use cases of crypto assets. Um, and um, we were quite early into DeFi, for example. Um, so that's the sector that we started investing in before the word DeFi was coined. Um, we were early launch partners with some 
of the biggest DeFi protocols today, uh, but they just started five years ago. Yeah. And this was before Uniswap was even launched. Uh, that's yeah. important to remember. Wow. So, uh, so that was quite early on. Um, and I think that was actually the first use case of smart contracts, if you like. And I think the second use case of smart contracts um, is probably NFTs. And that's something we have added to your investment thesis as we have gone along. Uh, thirdly, I think it's pretty clear now that you know we are entering a multi-chain world. We will have multiple blockchains where yes. you will run DeFi, you will run NFT. Uh, tease on so i think that's part of our investment that is part of our investment thesis as well um so that's kind of how we view the the world um we don't deviate too much from from that so we really concentrate our, ourselves on you know uh defi on nft infrastructure multi-chain infrastructure that is our core uh in in everything we do um and then we invest everywhere from early seed stage where we partner with teams we often come on board as advisors to early stage teams uh, but we invest all the way up to bitcoin in our in our portfolio so uh so everything from seed to bitcoin but we are focusing on those specific sectors where uh, we see the biggest potential and the biggest uh, use cases for uh, crypto today um and um, I think you're right, like there has been a number of narratives in the market and that's, that, that has been a major driver of market. So in 2020, uh, we had what is called the DeFi summer, all right? We had uh, um, the launch of yield farming that uh, really attracted a lot of capital and activity uh, to DeFi platforms. And that's what's kind of the first boom in, in, in DeFi markets, if you like. Um, 2021, I think we saw really a, um, um, a mainstream breakthrough when it comes to NFTs. And I think NFTs markets are much more accessible to the general public versus you know, a new financial infrastructure, which is DeFi. Uh, so we have seen big uh, brands like Instagram, uh, Reddit and others uh, really embrace the uh, uh, NFT market, and I think we will see more of that going forward. Mm. Uh, I suspect that one narrative that we will see, perhaps this year and, and going forward, will be the intersection between DeFi and NFT markets. So that's something we've been actively investing in recently. Uh, that could be landing markets for NFTs. We have seen some of those platforms really gain volume recently. That could be derivatives based on NFTs to um, enable people to speculate on, on prices, to hedge prices in the NFT markets. Uh, so that's a subsector that, you know, I think uh, has a lot of promise and where we have been doing a number of investments uh, recently. Um, On-chain derivatives in general, I think has seen a very good product market fit, especially since the FTX collapse. Which, by the way, just happened in November. It feels like a long time ago. It does feel like a long time ago. It does feel a long time ago. But actually, if you think about it, um, some of the, thing that, the things that are, we are building in, in crypto is actually solving the problem that you know, mm. we had with FTX, right? Um, that you, with, with DeFi, you don't really have to trust a, a counterparty as such. 
instrument. And you can trade some of the instruments yeah. like uh, uh, perpetuals and futures and so on are using smart contracts and uh, and you don't necessarily face the same risk as uh, the traders who uh, who used FTX uh, faced. So I think it's, that's really interesting as well. And I think we actually have seen an uptick in uh, on-chain derivatives usage since the collapse of FTX. It's, it is ironic um, that um, three or four or five major centralized finance organizations have, have um, crippled for a period of time at least um, the world of decentralized um, um, uh, finance and decentralized communication and decentralized transactions. That is what this world's meant to be yeah. about. And there we were with the cent major centralized groups that have, have um, <laughs> tarnished his name so, so much. It's extraordinary. Tim, um, can I ask, um, you're always interfacing with investors and Apollo has very sophisticated investors and maybe less sophisticated investors, um, not by definition of law, I'm talking about knowledge. Um, and so how are you finding those, um, the level of sophisticated, the level of knowledge, the level of fear now post 2022 um, and you know how maybe Australia versus some of your overseas investors? Yeah, um, very happy to comment on that one, Derek. Um, I think it's quite interesting because it's been a certainly a learning experience for for myself personally uh, over the last five years. So let me just comment on on who our investors are to start. Mm. So uh, we are only open to um, in Australia what's called wholesale investors, similar to accredited investors in in um, the United States and, and many other parts of the world. Um, so, but, but really. Uh, within wholesale investors, uh, you've got sort of different types. So you've got your high net worth individuals, which are possibly a little bit more retail in terms of they're not retail by law, but um, you know, in terms of their sophistication, um, they, they might be a little bit more retail. Uh, you've then got the family offices, uh, and then you've got you know this broad and beautiful word institutional investors, uh, yeah. which means many different things. Um, but uh, I, I think. When I think institutional, I think sort of you know the the, the big end, the the pension funds, the insurance funds, and those sorts of things. Um, you, you've probably got other type of institutional, you know, smaller institutional investors. Um, so we we have um, really grown off the back of the high net worth individual investor. Um, yeah, ultimate flexibility. Um, yeah, they might invest fifty thousand dollars. We have a very small minimum for for the Apollo Crypto Fund, the the Australian Unit Trust. Uh, and our thinking there is that a lot of people just want to get in, um, dip their toe in the water, and then they may invest more late, later on. Or as we've seen actually with some of, you know, in, in a couple of cases, that 50K turns into like a million dollars because we, we know the return potential of crypto. Um, we then, have, I guess, sort of progressed up the chain a little bit where we've got to family offices. We have a number of family offices, particularly in Australia uh, and increasingly globally. Um, we haven't really got many institutional investors um, certainly, you know, I used to work in the in the superannuation space uh, in Australia. I, I would say that the superannuation investors are not looking at crypto at all, uh, um, and, and I'd say that's probably similar for other institutional investors in Australia. Um, we hear mutterings of different approaches around the world. Uh, obviously, the world's a big place, um, but but by and large, I think most of the investors in crypto and, and our funds are um, you know, the, the high net worth uh, and um, you know, family office type investors. In terms of how they've, um, in terms of the learnings and observations, um, I think uh, one of the things I've learned, um, even though we don't have many institutional investors, I've maintained a you know, dialogue with a number of them. I, I think what sort of coming into this, I thought the insto investors 
would sort of be the the smart money and they would come in at the bottom yes, and yes. they would see things that others wouldn't. Um, yes. And really what we've learned is that all investors, right. I don't know if it's too broad to say this, but I'm just going to say it, all investors are pretty much the same. Um, yes. yeah, the, the, the high net worth, the family offices, they're driven by fear, they're driven by greed, they're people at the end of the day. And so we thought that, you know, the smart money would come in, you know, in 2018 when we launched or even now, uh, you know, you've been looking at this space for a little while, you're interested in it, you're following in it, and then prices have just dropped by 60%. Uh, no, thanks. I'm, 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 you know, I'm not interested anymore. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I can understand that. And, you know, I'm an investor myself and, and I can understand why that happens. It's probably a bit disappointing because we like to think we're all sort of a bit smarter than maybe, maybe we are. Um, but yeah, our investor interest at the moment has been very low. Uh, we, we really don't have many investors coming in at the moment. Um, and that's because it's, for me, it's hard to get people excited. Um, it's really when you've, you've had a number of months of performance where they start to think that they might be missing out a little bit, uh, mm. that, that the, you, you know, you sort of see a bit more of a stampede. And we saw that, um, you know, late 2021 or you know, really you know, throughout 2021, um, I was going to make one more point on that. Oh, the other point, though, which I am equally pleased to say is that we we don't see a lot of redemptions. So um, for, for just despite the volatility, uh, we we do a lot of talks like this. Uh, you know, we've got a weekly newsletter which people can subscribe to on the website polycrypto.com, uh, and, and we do a lot of education. And, and and we don't think there's any point investing in crypto for three months. I mean, anything can happen. No, um, you, no. You're better off buying a lottery ticket, maybe. Uh, so yeah, we we advocate for long term investing, and that means that if you know if if the performance is is struggling, um, it's probably not a good time to exit. Uh, and, and I'm I'm grateful for our investor support that that you know we're not seeing that. That's very good, um, Tim. I can mirror that identically. Important <laughs> digital fund, identically. Um, so gentlemen, we've got to come to an end. Um, but for those that are listening. Um, next week, we'll be releasing a webinar, which will continue discussion with, with um, Tim and um, Henrik. And that continued discussion is going to be a little bit more in depth, maybe, than what we've even done today. Um, so ApolloCrypto.com, uh, always great following. I follow everything that Apollo does along the way. Um, great commentators of the space, great members of the community in Australia. Thank you very much indeed for coming on, gentlemen. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you. And if I can, thanks, Tim. Thanks, Henrik. If I can, just before we go, uh, for yes. listeners, um, obviously listeners are fond of Derek and Nitten's work, but uh, I just want to echo that. And you, you speak very highly of us, Derek, but I just want to return that you know, publicly. Uh, you know, we've been we've known each other for a long time now. Uh, we first met in 2018. It was very quiet back then. Um, quiet. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know if we both thought we'd you know sort of both be around uh, five years later, um, no. but. We've seen these terrible, terrible events happen in crypto and and really you do want to isolate the good guys uh, and, and Portal are, are certainly part of that group. Oh, that's very kind. Thank you, Tim. Thank you very Thank much you, indeed. Love right. the perspectives, by the way. Thank you. Very much so. Bye for now. Thank you. Ciao. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week.